The following message was preached at Gospel City Church, a church that seeks to cast a gospel net for the people of Kuala Lumpur. Good morning, church. My name is Chris. I'm one of the elders here at Gospel City Church, and uh, it is a privilege and joy to be with you this morning to look around this room and see many familiar faces and a lot of new faces as well. I want to extend greetings to you and uh, peace from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are continuing our study in the book of Ephesians. So let me invite you to take your uh, Bible, however you may have it, whether it's on a phone or a tablet or an actual book that you hold in your hand, which is so cool because you can turn pages and it sounds awesome. Uh, Turn to the book of Ephesians. If you're with us this morning and you don't have a copy of the Bible, we have some available for you that we would like to give you as a gift. Uh, Sue in the back here has got some and she can pass it. Just slip your hand up in the air and she will make sure that you get a copy of God's word. We are in Ephesians today and we are in chapter two, picking up where we left off last week. Uh, We're on Ephesians chapter two. Verse 11, follow along as I read. Therefore, remember at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice this morning as we read, as we worship, as we pray, as we fellowship. We rejoice because we believe and trust that what the Scripture says about us is true, that you are doing a new work in us. You are building us up. You are renewing us. You are giving us hope. We thank you for this letter that you had Paul write to the church in Ephesus and Father, we pray that as we study it this morning, that you would just instruct us, that you would inform our hearts, that you would uh, remind us, Father, of this joyous salvation that we have in your Son. 
may we, as a result, praise you with even more heartfelt praise. May we renew our commitment to being a part of your church. And may we go out into this world with your gospel on our lips that we might make peace with the world through Christ, that they would know him and that they would know you. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. As I was reading this passage this week and and studying, uh, it took me a little while, to be honest with you, to get excited, not because the truths in this passage are not exciting, but because sometimes uh, in our walk with Christ, we become so familiar with the things of Christ, and we become so familiar with teachings and concepts and and terminology that we we miss how incredible and how awesome the truths of Scripture are. I mean, sometimes we just get so familiar with things that we are not astonished by how rare and valuable and beautiful the truths of Scripture are. It reminded me of a time about a year ago, just a little over a year ago. I was in the U.S. with my father as he was uh, battling cancer, battling leukemia, and he was moving from his house to a new house, and I was in charge of selling his old house and making sure all his things were packed together and sent to his new house. And he had a lot of things, and he was downsizing homes, so he couldn't take everything with him to the new house. So we called uh, someone who specializes in auctions. And he came and he took all the things out of my dad's house that he wasn't moving to his new house. Everything, any furniture, even the refrigerator, the stove, (laughs) everything that we could possibly sell in an auction, he took. Everything from clothes to children's toys and books. The auctioneer sold my father's possessions uh, over many weeks at different auctions. And every time he would sell something, he would send my dad a check for that amount, and he would send an inventory of the things that sold. And, you know, some of the things that he... Uh, we we expected some things to sell for some value, and we expected some things probably would get just maybe a couple of dollars. But we were surprised in one of the inventories to see that a children's book returned hundreds of dollars. Uh, You may have heard of this guy named Dr. Seuss. Well, apparently, as a child, uh, my sister and I had a Dr. Seuss book that was a rare item, and we had no idea. And so when it was put on auction... Uh, all of the people who attended the auction saw this rare item and they desired to have it and they paid hundreds of dollars for a small children's book. As we were packing these things up, we saw a children's book. It was something that had been around our entire lives. We were used to it. We saw it. it. It really held no special meaning to us because it was just ordinary. We didn't see it for what it was. But for the people who knew what rare collectible items were, they saw it and they saw something that was valuable and that was worth their money. Later, I went back and and did a Google search to see why in the world did this thing sell for so much? And I found out that it was rare and out of print and desirable. And it made me realize that sometimes we can become so familiar with just things that we miss the value. I hope this morning as we go through these 11 verses in Ephesians that we are reminded 
of the value and the beauty and the awesomeness of the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. That the things that may seem just ordinary to us would no longer be ordinary, but this morning we could rejoice at what God has done. This, these 11 verses break down very similarly to last week's sermon. There's three major shifts, and we're going to see that we're told first to remember who we were, remember our prior status, which is very similar to last week. We see that in verse 11 and 12. In verses 13 through 18, we are going to gaze into Christ's work of peace for us. We're going to gaze into his work. And then in verses 19 through 22, we are going to rejoice at what it means to be a member of God's household. So three movements here uh, following very similarly to last week's breakdown in verses 1 through 10 that we remember who we were, we look at what Christ has done, and then we rejoice in what is being done in us as a result of Christ's work. So let's remember our prior status. Verse 11 begins, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, and we we stop here to be reminded that Paul is addressing specifically Gentiles in this case. In in verses 1 through 10, he was addressing all believers, whether they were Jewish background believers or Gentile background believers. The, The work that he did in all people in salvation. But specifically in verse 11, he wants to point out to the Gentiles a special work that Christ has done for Gentiles. As I look around this room, I think that probably includes all of us. I, I, maybe I'm wrong. I, I'm not sure that we have any Jewish background uh, people here today. I don't think so. So I think we're all Gentiles here in this room. Uh, in the New Testament world, in the first century, the, the way that the, the Jewish people looked at the world, they looked at Jews and Gentiles, right? Uh, they didn't think about the world in all the categories of ethnicities that we think. They think Jew and Gentile. And, and so Paul is, is here addressing the non-Jews, the Gentiles. So he's going to talk about not only in these next few verses... Uh, what is special to the Gentiles in salvation individually, but corporately. Okay, the first 10 verses talks about an individual experience of salvation. Whew, hello. That, that'll wake you up on it. it that, the first 10 verses talked about what would be considered an individual experience of salvation. These 11 verses are going to talk about the corporate nature of salvation in Christ for the Gentiles. Remember. That's the call here in verse 11. Remember that at one time, right, there was a past. Remember who you were. And then he, he uses these terms, right, that you were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hand. So this clear distinction between Jew and Gentile, the Jews being the circumcised, who would refer to the Gentiles as the uncircumcised, Perhaps you're familiar with the story of David and Goliath. When David entered onto the scene and Goliath was threatening the the Jewish people, the Israelites, and David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? There's circumcised and uncircumcised, and if you're not Jewish, you're part of the uncircumcised group because it was the sign of a particular people. 
and the Gentiles were of the uncircumcised people, not part of that group. He says, remember who you were. Remember, verse 12 says, that you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. There's a deficiency that the Gentiles experienced spiritually. Spiritual deficiencies. What were those deficiencies? There's five. They were separated. They were separated from Christ. They were alienated. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Well, why is that such a big deal? Well, it was Israel who had the covenant with God. God called them his people. Even further still, separated, alienated, strangers to the covenants of promise. The, the Gentiles didn't know the promises of God because they were alienated, because they were strangers, because they were separated. And, and the part that strikes me so much in these first few verses is that he says, we had no hope. And that really just sat with me a bit because, you know, hope is what gets us out of bed in the morning, isn't it? I mean, really, hope is something that everyone is looking for and clinging on to. Hope. But Paul makes it clear that for the Gentile, apart from Christ, alienated from God's people, alienated, strangers to these covenants, there is no hope. There's no hope. We have no hope. I don't know all of the numbers because it depends on the studies that you read, but you know the past several years uh, have been really trying during our pandemic that we've all experienced. And, and some people who have experienced isolation uh, and have suffered from isolation found that they had no hope. And instead of succumbing to a virus, they succumbed to their own lack of hope. And there would be people who took their own lives because they saw, they saw no hope. Hope gets us out of bed in the morning. Hope is what we cling to. Hope is what gives us life. And for the believer, for the Christian, our hope is in Christ, who never disappoints. Christ never disappoints. There's always hope in Christ. So five deficiencies, separated, alienated, strangers, no hope, and and the fifth one is without God. Without God. Without God. When there's no relationship with God, people grasp for things. They seek for answers. They seek for purpose. Earlier, we are told that such were some of you. This is the condition of Gentiles, before we knew Christ. This is who we are. And Paul is calling on these Gentile believers to remember their prior status. Remember the prior status. Why is it so important for us to remember our prior status? Because when we remember who we were without Christ then we are able to understand and appreciate the beauty and the joy and the value and the, just the incredible news that we are presented with in the gospel. We need to remember sometimes. We don't need to glorify 
our past sinful life. We don't need to glorify sinful behavior, but it is helpful to remember where we were before Christ. Where we were before Christ. So we remember our prior status in order to be able to gaze into Christ's work of peace. That we can gaze into Christ's work of peace. And that's what we're going to see in verses 13 through 18. Four times in these verses, Paul uses the term peace. He uses these four, uh, he uses the, the word peace four times to teach three truths about Jesus. Jesus is our peace. He makes peace and he preaches peace. Jesus is our peace. He makes peace and he preaches peace. Let's read these verses one more time just to remind ourselves of what he says. Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now in the first couple of verses that, that we've already looked at, uh, there is this division that Paul references, right? The circumcision and the uncircumcision. And, and so there is some type of enmity, some type of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. And we're told here that Christ makes peace between the Jews and the Gentile. That he is our peace. How is it that he is our peace? Well, he brought us near. He brought us near by his blood. Remember back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, I think one of the most beautiful verses in all of the New Testament, it says that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. How does he bring us near in the cross? It's through his blood. He has brought us near. As I said already, there are two types of peace being referenced as Christ is our peace. He is bringing peace between the circumcised and the uncircumcised, the Jew and the Gentile. But he's also bringing peace between sinners and God. Now, let me be really clear. He's not bringing peace between all Jews and all Gentiles. He's bringing peace between redeemed Jews and redeemed Gentiles. There still remains, remains a wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles who are not redeemed. It is in Christ that this dividing wall of hostility is overcome. He is our peace. He makes peace. Look at what he says about making peace. Verse 14 says, he is our peace. This is how he did it. Uh, and then, I lost my place. And then, 
uh, he reconciled us to God in one body. He is our peace, and he makes peace. We're reconciled to God. We're reconciled to him. This hostility that was between sinners and the Holy One, the Creator God, is removed in Christ. Remember last week, we looked at Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and verse 3 tells us that as sinful people, we are by nature children of wrath. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve God's punishment. That is what is being poured out on sin by God. And Christ on the cross takes that wrath in our place, thereby killing the hostility. He's able to bring us near to God. He does this on the cross. He makes us one on the cross through His blood, reconciling us to God in His in one body in Christ. He kills the hostility. He makes peace for us. One of the key ways that a commentator mentions uh, how Christ has done this, he says that he is revoking the obstacle to unity. There is an obstacle to unity between Jews and Gentiles. And that obstacle is the Torah, the law. It is a dividing wall. And it is symbolically represented by a literal wall that separated the court of the Gentiles in the temple. If you were to go to Jerusalem to the temple, what you would see is that there would be a court for Gentiles and there is a wall separating them. They could not go into the area specifically for the Jewish people because in that place, God would mediate his presence to his people and the Gentiles were not allowed to go. This wall of hostility, this obstacle that was literally there in the temple, Christ in his own body is breaking down. The dividing wall that surrounded the inner courts of the temple was an important symbol of this extraordinary division between Jew and Gentile. Paul, as he's writing this letter, is intimately and recently familiar with this wall because he was falsely accused of taking a Gentile into the inner courts of the temple. In fact, it's this accusation that leads to him being imprisoned up to nearly four years at this point as he's writing the letter. He is very familiar with this wall. And he knows that it is this literal barrier in the temple which prohibited the Gentiles from entering into worship of the one true living God that in Christ is done away with. Christ has done away with what separated Jews from Gentiles. But he's also done, he's also torn down the hostility between God and unbelievers. So he is our peace and he makes peace. But look, he also preaches peace. He preaches peace. Verse 17 says, He came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. He preached peace to everyone. Everyone is able to hear this message of peace 
in Christ. Old entities. Even though unbelieving Israel and disobedient Gentiles continue to exist today, the privileges that we enjoy as Gentiles are based upon and transcend the blessings promised to Israel. That's profound. We need to remember who we were. We need to remember where we were, what our condition was. We need to look at what Christ did for us. And we need to rejoice at who we are this morning. Some of you this morning, you, you may still be in this group that is referred to as those who are far off. You may be somebody here this morning who has never had that realization where you have heard the gospel of, pre, uh, gospel of peace preached to you and you were awakened to the promises of Christ and you, you grasped him by faith and said, yes, Lord Jesus. Perhaps today you can examine yourself and say, do I believe in my heart that Christ was raised from the dead? Do I believe that he is Lord? Can I confess that with my mouth and call him Lord and Savior? If you cannot, then you are part of that group that is called the far off. And this morning, I am imploring you and telling you, you are invited to come in by Christ. All you have to do is trust him, reach out to him, confess him. If you have questions about that, Myself or anyone who's been up on stage today would love to talk to you about that. How you can know Christ, how you can be a part of this church. Not just GCC, but the church of all time. Those of you who've been converted, those of you who have been awakened, who are part of this household, there are some things that are just natural spiritual impulses for you. Seeking out a place of worship is something that you do naturally. It is not the DNA of your sinful flesh. It is the DNA of your heavenly father at work in you. Where you think, I ought to find a place where I can join together with other believers to worship Christ. I ought to find a place where I can have the word of God proclaimed to me faithfully. I ought to find a place where I can use the gifts that God has given me through His Spirit to serve the people of God and to serve the unbelieving community that they might know this joyous salvation. As a believer in Christ, that's natural. We don't have to convince you that you should be in church because that's where you want to be. That's your household. That's your identity. The person who's not a believer never has that spiritual impulse, never thinks, you know where I should be? I should be in church. That's where I need to be. This morning, we're going to transition to the Lord's table in a moment. And as we do, we're going to do things a little differently than we've done recently, but if you've been around a long time, it might seem familiar. But as we take the Lord's Supper this morning, I want you to take some time to look around. Look around and, and see these other living stones who are being built up with you. Look and see the, the ones that Christ has 
called to himself, who have experienced peace, who are able to enjoy the salvation that Christ has given. And perhaps you would be reminded of a hymn. It's one of my favorite hymns, one of these modern hymns. And it goes something like this, as we remember and as we gaze and as we rejoice, maybe you can hear these words. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now, all I know is grace. Let us rejoice with all these living stones gathered together, among whom the Creator God has chosen to dwell. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we who were far off are brought near in Christ. We thank you for our new identity, who we are in Christ, not just individually, but corporately, that we are members of your household. May you continue to instruct us and mold us and shape us that we would exalt you, magnify you, that we would love one another, that we would be lights to the world of what it means that Jesus is our peace. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We invite you to learn more about Gospel City Church at gospelcitychurch.my.